July 9, 2022. It's a lot for Pedro show. Well, like, say, for example, like you said, 14 years ago, 44 was when you first started playing. Yeah. Well, when did you have your first professional game with anybody? Well, I, I, I usually call my first uh, professional job was a band from Indianapolis, uh, led by Joe Webb. And this was in 47. Big Maybell was in this band, you know, Big yeah. Maybell Blues. Yeah. This was, I don't know, this was, I don't know what the heck we were, rhythm and blues or everything. I don't know what that band. Anyway, that, that band and King Colax, you heard of Colax, eh? Eddie Vincent, Dizzy, Earl Bosty, Gay Cross, Gay Cross. He's from Cleveland. He had a little band. He used to be with Lil Jordan one time in his band. He had a little band that was patterned after Lil's band. He sang and played something like that. And um, Daisy Me and the Hep Cats. Johnny Hodges. You did work with Hodges? Yeah. When was that? In 1953. For how long? Oh, oh, six, seven months, I think. Really? Who else was in the band? Well, Richard Powell on piano. And, uh, Lawrence Brown, Emmett Barry, Edward yeah. Trouble, and a guy named Jimmy Johnson on drums. Basically, I forgot his name. for Pedro Show. Happy Saturday. Started off with John Coltrane talking to August Bloom in 1958 about his first gigs. 
Then we had Chip Kimmon with Let's Go, Dark Shark. And that's from his new album, The Great Confrontation. And I am very fortunate enough to have with me. What are you talking to? Are you talking to me from the desert, Chip? No, sir. I'm talking to you from Burbank, California. Okay, okay, okay. Because you got two pads now, right? Well, actually three. We still have the original homestead in Carlsbad. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. It's down south. Yeah, you bet. And then, um, yeah, we bought five acres of sand and horny toads out in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> <laughs> Landers out there near, near. Landers by Kim, Kim White. White. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We're ten acres away from Kim White. We can okay. see her house from from our uh, from. We we have one Joshua tree on our five acres. Uh, of course, we named it Joshua because the name wasn't taken, and um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a fabulous place to be. But my my home uh, where I raise my kids and and live with my wife is here in Burbank. Right, east part of the valley. Now let's yeah. uh, please bring your earliest musical recollection. Earliest musical recollection would have to be the very earliest would be driving to the beach in North Carolina when I was, gosh, probably about eight years old and um, hearing uh, White Lightning come on the radio by George Jones. And we just, all of us kids just started cracking up. We thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever heard, especially when George goes, White Lightning. <laughs> and and uh, uh, boy, little did I know that'd become a signature tune, you know. <laughs> and mine and Tony's, I mean, I mean, Tony was born to say, White Lightning. <laughs> Among other things, of course, but, but uh, it was right up his alley. That's, that's probably my earliest musical record. Okay. And in the pad that you grew up there, was there musical instruments? Uh, no, no. Uh, our house wasn't particularly musical, except for my older brother, Charles, who um, was older than Tony and I, and he was just, just the right age to be buying all the English Invasion records. And um, so his room, of course, had, it was plastered with posters of the Stones and the Beatles and the Kinks and all of that. And, and I was still a little bit too young, like, you know, 67, I was 10. So in 64, I was seven years old. So I was um, just, just kind of absorbing the music and, and it stuck. It, it, it all stuck in our brains, you know, I mean, it stuck so much that, of course, we got caught up in the whole thing and we we're begging our mom, we want Beetle boots. We want well, older we brother want Charles, now, now he didn't have a guitar or anything. He just had records. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, Tony was the first one to play. He joined marching band. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about school if you were in the choir, the marching band, or some shit. Yeah, yeah right, right. Um, I wasn't. I was, I was like hardcore pot smoking nerd. And um, and Tony was in marching band. He played uh, alto sax, and he, you know, he was always really good right from the right from the get go. He could, you know, he could read music. He could he could hear music. He could hear it and understand what was happening uh myself uh when i finally got a guitar i would like hey look tony i learned the day tripper riff and you go well that's great but you left out like four notes <laughs> and the riff only has like seven so <laughs> but, um, you got more than half what about the first uh record you bought with your own money uh that'd be who's next okay. i um By uh, who? i yeah i uh pissing stone I, yeah, well, he, uh, here's how that happened, because my older brother, Charles, yeah. um, I would I would hear him play records, and two of the records he played a lot uh, around, I guess, um, 1972 or 70 when Who's Next came out, 71, wherever the hell it came out. He played Live at Leeds a lot, and he played um, uh, uh, the Woodstock album a lot that had, you know, uh, Going Home by 10 Years After. Yeah. And, um, you know, being a little kid, that, that sort of solo playing kind of impressed me. 
So when I, when I finally got some money to go buy a record, I went to the mall in Carlsbad. I thought, okay, I'm going to start a record collection. And Who's Next and A Space and Time by 10 Years After it just came out at the same time. I was holding both records in my hand going, which one am I going to buy? Which one am I going to buy? Thank God I bought Who's Next. <laughs> but you didn't know anything on Who's Next. Well, it was probably coming on the radio, right? Yeah, uh, I didn't know anything about it. All I knew is I liked Live and Lead, so I thought that was a good record. It is. It is. Me and Dee Boone dug the shit out of it. We like Sellout, too. Oh, um, yeah. I, I what mean, was the first well, gig you well, saw? Go ahead. Go ahead. The first gig you saw. First gig? Oh. Easy. First gig I saw, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stars and the Spiders from Mars at Long Beach in 1973. Wow. Right yeah. around that time, we, uh, me and D. Boone's first gig, we saw T-Rex at the Long Beach Auditorium. T-Rex? Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was right <laughs> around that time. Uh, we were 14 years old, right? Now, now, the first gig I ever saw in a nightclub was New York Dolls in San Diego at the like Red Ball Saloon or something. And it was funny because that was in the days, okay, it was... It was a couple of years after I saw David Bowie and then um, Tony and I started going to concerts just to look at bands gear. You know, we didn't care who was playing. <laughs> we would go like all these stadium shows and see stuff like Wishbone Ash and all that kind of stuff just to look at the gear, you know, get up front and go, wow, look at all that. And then, um, you know, we got into the dolls, of course. And I remember going into the, the nightclub in San Diego and thinking, wait a minute, this room's really small. It's not a stadium. Wait a minute. They're right there. I'm sitting here. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was like a, it, it was truly like a punk rock experience. You know? Much different arena rock. I, you know, I didn't even know about that, that situation until the movement, you know, all I knew was arena rock and it's yeah, so yeah. much fucking different. It's hard to explain it, to people. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's funny because I don't really remember the show that much, the um, the New York Dolls show. I just remember the situation and it being so, like, it, it kind of brought me alive. It's that It, it kind of brought that whole kind of punk rock ethic of you can do it too. You sure. can pick up a guitar. It kind, of, it kind of made that a reality. I never even heard the phrase. No one. Spe speaking of which, you were yeah, talking about getting that guitar. To pick up a guitar bit, yeah, when did, when did you pick up that guitar? I picked up the guitar probably in, um, well, here's how it happened. Tony, uh, asked my, told my, asked my father if he could buy him a bass. And my father said, well, you know, save your allowance. I'll take you to, um, Camp Pendleton and where he could buy a, a Tysco bass at the PX. And, um, and of course, me being the bratty younger brother, I said, well, if he's getting a bass, I want a guitar. So. <laughs> so, why do you think Tony? Ha why do you think Tony asked for a bass? What's that? Why do you think Tony asked for a bass? Because most cats, especially in those days, would ask for a guitar. Yeah, because Tony's perverse. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. I mean, that's why he played alto sax and not trumpet. You know, the big okay. glory, sure. the big glor glory instrument in a marching band. You know, he. Uh, Tony's just always been one to go against the grain, and that holds him in good stead. Uh, myself as well. Um, so so he gets the bass, he gets the Tesco from the PX, and then you, uh, do you get your guitar from the PX? I do, yeah. We got him at the same time. You know, my dad's being a bit of a soft touch. So we got him at the same time. And, and of course, Tony is off to the races. He lear He's learning Punk Meets the Godfather, you know, on his Tesco. He's, you know, he's learning all Modrophenia, this. yeah. Yeah, he could do that. He could, you know, he, he immediately, you know, 
learns the uh, My Generation bass solo, all, all Paul McCartney stuff. I mean, like I said uh, earlier, he has really good ears. Yeah. And uh, and I get the Tysco guitar, and I'm just banging on it, making noise. I didn't what, what about amplifier stuff? Um, an Alamo. Okay. Yeah, a little Alamo amp, which I what still What about Tony? Have, and it's really one of the best amplifiers ever. What, what, what amp did, I'm curious, uh, what amp did Tony get? Um, I think we we just got that. We got one little Alamo amp. It had uh, it has three inputs. Okay, yeah, like the urinals, right? Why do you need yeah. two amps? It's got two inputs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so it'll work. Yeah, I didn't. I and I'll tell you what, Mike. I didn't learn one, not even one chord. I was just fascinated that sound came out. And then finally, of course, I had the, you know, be, being a brat kid and a, and a and a Pete Townsend fan, I ended up just smashing it because it made a glorious sound when I smashed it. Well, what kind was it? Um, it was a little, just a little old Tysco guitar. Okay. I don't, I don't know the model at all. Yeah, I don't know um, if they had names on it, but I remember those. They, they were they sold them at thrifties like for ten bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was really something else, and and then I finally got a. Um, after that, I got an acoustic guitar, which didn't sound as good, just the bang on. So I had to learn some chords. I want to play Golden Robot. Sounds good.
For Pedro Show, that chunk of music started off with Chip Kimmon, Golden Robot. Hey. Then we had brand new from Bombas Prendon, A Wild Sheep Chase. Brand new, Lampredonto. And Mark Stewart from the pop group with Wasted, Lady Neptune, Apocalypse. And finally, The Great Confrontation, the title tune from his new album, Chip Kimmon. 
and to continue. Now, do you you and Tony make a like a bedroom band? Um, uh, I'm talking about exactly. like after school, that graduated, but in the afternoon time, you know, bedroom band, yeah. garage so, well, band, basement actually, band. Tony was in. Um, let me see. His he started he started in bands first. He joined a, a, a like a Christian rock band, but he uh, playing bass, but he got kicked out because he played too loud and he wouldn't turn down. And um, which is awesome. They're called Saved by Grace, and of course we call them Sprayed by Mace. And then yes, and then he joined a a local cover band called Summit, and he got kicked out because he wouldn't play Smoking in the Boys' Room. He thought it was stupid. And, and then um, and I remember I wanted to join Summit. Of course, I was a complete crap guitar player. But I want to join too. And Tony told me, I'll never be in a band with you. <laughs> and, Even though it was somebody got, else's band. Yeah, yeah. And then after after he got kicked out of that band, um, that's when he said, okay, you know, look, no one else in Carlsbad likes the same music that I like, but but me, you know. Uh, so, so, we, uh, so we formed a band together. And at first we played covers. You know, we played two songs, the New York Doll songs, a couple Bowie songs. Was it a duet? Writing. Did you have a drummer man? Uh, we had several drummers. We sure did. Oh, so um, it was like the Dills. <laughs> yeah, it was. The, yeah, well, actually, uh, shortly thereafter, that that's well, that's what we called the band. We called the band the Dills. And, oh, you uh, mean and right away? A, and we had a lead singer too. Uh, yeah, Scott. because you know Brendan Mullen had a picture of a four-piece yeah. Dills that yeah. I saw up in uh, his drawer in the club lingerie office. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Jeff Scott who went on to form the Hitmakers, a uh, San Diego band. Oh um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, uh, so he was our singer, but he quit the band because um, I, I think I wrote the first song I wrote was a uh, Tell Her I Love Her, and it was you know kind of a Buddy Holly ripoff. Sure. And but he thought it was I was like, which is really weird. Cause we were a cover band, but he thought I was selling out. So it's like. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you guys are still teenagers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're okay. still. You know, it's like it's like we're it's 1975. We're just getting out right, of high right. school and stuff. 11th grade or something. Yeah, and you're selling out, right? Okay. <laughs> I know. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, but did you? Was there four man Dill gigs? Uh yeah, yeah. In fact, our first uh, punk rock gig was a four man Dills gig. We. Uh, uh, well, we did the Peter Case gig. We were four uh, at Gower Gulch. We were four man, a four okay. Pete. Was Peter and, with the nerves? Um, yeah, with the nerves. Uh -huh. yeah, right. and, we, and when we first went up to San Francisco, we went up as a four piece, and then all that it all it it it. it so are the deals. Well, Tony wants to make a band with you. Has the movement? Have you heard about Ramones and shit? Of course. Oh, okay. Ramones. We knew about the Ramones uh, through Roxine magazine. And, oh yeah, Roxine, right? Yeah, and so we were reading about them. I think since '75. <laughs> of course, the Dolls—they uh, had that that Mercury Arts uh, trip going, like kind of residency. Yeah, kind yeah, of the CBGB. Yeah. Thing. It, it was, Richard Hell told me that's where he got the idea of the CBGB thing. You have the gig yeah. at the same place all the time, and people know where to go. Oh, residencies are great. The Dills did a great win at the uh, Art Institute in San Francisco. That was so much fun. Yes. But but we used to we used to um you know read about the Ramones and we, we knew they had to be great. We had no idea what they sounded like, but we knew they had to be great. And uh, when the record first came out, it's funny because we uh, Tony and I we sit down and listen to it, and and we 
put it on and listen to the first song. I'm going, okay, that's cool. And the second song, and the third song, and I'm going, wait a minute. You know, it all there's no solos and all kind. You know, because we had no idea what we were getting into. Right. At all. Right. Like, there's no solos. Because uh, New York Dolls, in a way, they get some Chuck Berry and yeah. Yeah, but, but, but the but, Ramones, uh, like, they, they make a big departure, yeah, especially from arena rock. Yeah, no drum fills, no solos. It, it was like from outer space. And I said <laughs> to Tony, I said, I said, I'm not really sure about this. And Tony looked at me and said, hey, and I, I guess um, I had paid for the album. And, I, and, and Tony said, take this record home, listen to it, and in 20, because he got it right away. And he said, in 24 hours, if you don't think this is the greatest record you've ever heard, I'll buy it from you. The next day, I picked up the phone. I called Tony and said, "This is the greatest record I've ever heard." <laughs> right, Tony. Yeah, it took, it took me a day to, you know. Right. Wait, well, I'm curious. Play. What was the first Dill song written? Um, well, I guess it would be the first Dills as you know it song ever written would have been um, "I Hate the Rich." And, and was that three piece or four piece? Three piece. Okay, so the four piece Dills didn't really write a lot of songs. Not not a lot. We wrote. Um, uh, well, you, you wrote you, know, you wrote, wrote that song Tell that Tell made the Lover. singer leave. Yeah, we wrote "Tell Her I Love Her," <laughs> and um, other than that, not not that much. I remember our drummer had written a song, and he was like really into Russian stuff. And <laughs> wrote the song, and and it, you know, I think he called "Serious" the dog star or something. It was like, you know, you you needed a slide rule to figure out what was going on. Where was the first Dill's gig? Um, as a three piece? No, as a four piece. I'm curious. Then, then as a three piece. Ah, as a four piece. Ah, I had booked a. Well, the first was like at some, you know, um, a kegger party in Carlsbad. But the first. But but after that, I had booked. I called every high school in North San Diego County, and and booked a lunchtime tour. I said, "Look, we'll set up on your basketball court. We'll set up outside. We'll set up anywhere. Just let us play." And um, and I did. I we we I booked about like five shows at uh at high schools and you know to play during lunchtime. And of course, everyone hated it. And, but um, but, still, that's a trip. That's a yeah, innovator. Was, yeah, lots of fun. Lots of fun. But the actually the first three piece uh, Dills gig was uh, what was uh, up in smoke. Oh, you mean the the movie? Okay, when you guys, I, it's not even a song, right? You're tuning up or something. <laughs> yeah, the movie, the Cheech and Chong movie. Yeah, yeah. the Cheech and Chong movie, but you guys ain't even playing a song. It's so fucked up. <laughs> I know we play about half a song. Anyway. Yeah, like in your tuning or something. It was like the weirdest fucking thing. And a lot of bands tried out for that, right? Uh, yeah, they were all there. They were all there. We heard about it because uh, Peter Urban, um, he had heard Rodney on the radio for some reason. I don't know how he picked out our name. Maybe he remembered it from the Peter Case gig or something, the Nerves gig. But he yeah. said, oh, you know, the Cheech and Chong's filming a movie at the Roxy and it'd be a great opportunity for bands like the Dills. <laughs> so Peter Urban calls us up and said, Rodney just said the Dills should be in this movie. We hopped in the, our van, drove up to L.A., and all the bands were all lined up getting ready to do their song. And right when we pulled up the AD or whoever, he came out and said, okay, who's next? And we said, we are. <laughs> and so you didn't said, wait in any line. You just yeah. arrived, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, we get stink-eyed from everybody. Yeah, and they say, they say, get on stage and don't stop. Just play your song, don't stop, and then get off stage. And, of course, we stopped because uh, 
uh, Andre, um, drummer, but but he hated the time. He'd been playing drums for about a week and a half. So. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what was going on. Okay. And so you had to stop when he was on the other side of the beat or something. Yeah, yeah. Where where are we in the song? You know, it's a minute and a half song. Where are we? <laughs> what tune? What what, what tune are you doing? Um, you're not blank. You're not blank. That's what you're I figured. Not. Okay. Yeah, That's what I figured because yeah. it's kind of hard to tell, man. Because I was looking for you guys in that movie. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, um, it, it's so many people like, cause, okay, so we we did that. And by the time the movie came out, we were fire-breathing commie punks. I mean, right, Class right. War had come out, you know, we were we were firmly the Dills. And I remember someone saying, hey, Chip, you're in the new Cheech and Chong movie. <laughs> you're horrified. We were horrified. Pot smoke hippies, no. <laughs> yeah. Be careful for what you wish for. Look, Chip, we're at the end of the July 9, 2022 edition. Wapito's special guest, Chip Kim. Hold tight for hour two. July 9, 2022. It's the second hour of the Wat for Pedro show. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
for Peter. <laughs> I said the same thing to him. He laughed too. Okay, okay yeah. people, we started the second hour, hour off with Chip Kimmon with my predominantly white family, Ben Salter out of Tasmania with Impulse, Kiwi Jr. out of Canada with Unspeakable Things. World is run by mass persuasion by Ember Nunn and Mike v Michael Vega. That uh, here's a title. This 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 project it's from England called Puppet Midnight, communicating with and channeling the dragon spirits atop Arthur's seat. Wow. And finally, Chip Kimmon, the abolition of the concept of performance. Okay, so much drama in the Dills, right? Oh, of course, yeah, it was all drama. Right, all inside the band with the drummer, and then outside the band with all the other bands. And then Peter Urban, right, his own, his own perspective on that uh, dimension. And uh, so that whole thing is like only in a couple years, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it, it's, it's times compressed, you know, when right. you're talking about rock. It's because, I mean, you have first wave bands, you have second wave bands. I mean, you could even consider like X a second wave band. Yeah, I would too. I would too. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, they weren't around when we did the nerve show. You know, and and also, the, also, when things changed back then, it was right away. Right away, yeah. something, the paradigm keeps shifting and shifting and shifting. It's not like now with this long plateau. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was that was our reality we were living in, and and that's the way we all felt. Everything was right away. Everything's now. Every you know, this is we are the future. This is the future. We're going to push it forward, and and everything else be damned. And 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 I'll tell you what, man. You know this, Mike. When you're 20 years old, oh, that's yeah. what you do. That's what of you course. do. It's all moment. It's all moment. No yeah. tomorrow. No yesterday. All moment. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and so you busted up. And Alondro gets a band together, and you and Tony help him out? Because, you know, yeah. a lot of people, they talk to me about Rank and File, and they think it's you guys' band. But you guys actually got in there to help him out, right? The well, guy from the nuns? Actually, no. What happened is, is um, Dills broke up. Tony said, okay, you know, punk rock was it for me. I'm done with music. And he moved up to Portland to be a night clerk at a motel, which, <laughs> which didn't work out too well. <laughs> And, uh, and I still wanted to play. So I called up Alejandro, who was living in New York City, playing with um, Judy Nylon. And um, and I called up. I said, hey, Al, you want to start a band? And he said, sure. Oh, so it's your idea. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, come on out to New York City. Because Tony, so, when he came down to Pedro and was on the show, he said it was Alejandro's idea. And he came in to help out or something. Well, everybody's yeah. got their, what, what's it called? Uh, Rashimon moment <laughs> yeah, exactly for all the different perspectives so we um so i so i should tell I, the listeners I, that's a, a mr kurosawa movie from the 50s and they even bring back the murdered husband's spirit to testify and he's got his yeah. point of view right that's such a terrific movie i mean but any kurosawa movie is that yeah yeah i agree yeah. but but I, I i drove out there and at the time um you all drove the out, out to new york city that's 2,800 I miles. <laughs> I drove out in the I Hate the Rich Mobile, you know, our big red van. Sure. And, and um, I and I should I mean, say course, something, it, something about that to people because those old days, those 70s punk, most of those bands in Hollywood didn't even have a van, people. I think they just wanted to be king of Hollywood. The, the Dills, you guys were like one of the only bands that was torn. That's correct because we, we had a van. So that's we so we drove, I mean, we played New York City, we played up in Canada a lot, right, we did right, trips right. northwest all the time, went out to Austin a couple times and played. 
um, simply because we had a van. You know, the Avengers didn't have a van. No. We did, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah, and so that, you know who had a van, too, was the DOA guys, because they were touring early. That's correct. Um, in fact, uh, we did a great tour with uh, Pacific Northwest with uh, DOA and the Dish Rags. And I'll never forget, we're loading out of Portland, and um, and Chuck Biscuits puts – puts all of his all of his symbols on top of the van while he's loading everything else in and then you forgot they were there and they drove off. it was the best <laughs> i ever heard in my life the symbols were flying off the van and flying down the street <laughs> so you drive out to new york city to meet me alondra for this new project yeah yeah and we and that's when uh <clears throat> we decided to play country music because because we're perverse you know it's like what can get up the punk's noses what can what does everyone hate? Right. Country music. Great. Well, that's what we'll do. Mike, and Mike. Um, so we started, you know, we started the band with that in mind. I wrote songs. I still wasn't writing songs with Alejandro. In fact, I've never written a song with Alejandro. I was still writing with Tony and we were, we were doing it through the mail. I would send him lyrics and he would like say, well, this is a better verse and this is a better chord change, that sort of thing. So it was. Uh, it so was that's how we got. Involved. Okay. Okay. He got yeah. involved that way, but via the U.S. mail. Was he the the yeah. the, the, the the hotel clerk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so so that job wasn't working out too well for him. So um, so we decided our bass player at the time was uh, Barry Scratchy Myers, who was the DJ for the Clash, and uh, I booked a little a little tour uh, for rank and file. It was and it was very little. It was like you know four shows in four weeks, something like that. But anyway, <laughs> we ended up in Portland and um, I, uh, we picked up Tony. And Not he was Portland, play, Maine, but Portland, no, no, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And he was going to join the band playing acoustic guitar, playing a, playing guitar and uh, keep Barry on bass. But then Barry thought, uh, you know, with Tony and the band, this is going to be weird. So, so Barry left and Tony stayed and he played bass. And then we then um, uh, went back to New York city. Then we thought, well, we really want to play country music, so where should we Austin. live? We <laughs> <off>. <laughs> Move to Bakersfield. Look, I want to play a little Italiano here, huh? Some Ciao Ragazzi. Oh, Ciao Ragazzi. There you there go. Thank you. 
stabili e soprattutto nel posto di vita. Le mani, le mani, le mani, le mani, le sempre, sopra, sotto, le mani, le mani, le Arriverà, arriverà il momento, ci penseremo dopo, 
approfitto di questa mezz'oretta, anzi oggi forse un po' meno perché eh, vediamo con la figura la batteria, eh, oggi ho una serie di potenti mezzi messi a disposizione che sono praticamente la, il mio camera che mi aiuterà e mi servirà sicuramente vi presento anche il mio camera Buonasera, sono Nicola Coluccio, il cameraman di Nicola Coluccio. Ecco, eh, non, non mette la mascherina anche lui perché logicamente siamo qua, ma è perché siamo intimi, io e lui siamo intimi, siamo quasi gemelli. Quindi, come potete notare, oggi abbiamo un bel dolce vita. Früht war die Hoffnung auf Frühling, in Prag, in Arabien im Herbst. Im Frühling erwacht nichts, die Völker, sie bleiben verseht. Dontron sprach dem Terror das Recht an, für Brecht geht das Recht eine Farce. Der Mut wird uns klein, doch die Mäule und Augen sind groß.
Thank you. 
off from Pedro Show that chunk of music. Start off Chip Kimmin off the new album with Child Rigazzi. And then Kim Boone and Kester out of Berlin with their new album. And this tune is Groon is De Revolution. Atmosphere after that, circuit of unconsciousness. And here's a little sentimental journey. Chip Kimmin off the new album, but San Francisco Fog nineteen seventy seven. What was it like to live in San Francisco in 1977? It was it was probably the greatest place a, a young man could live if you had an artistic bent. Um, and it was Econo enough then too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was it was easy to live there. Um, it was it was a nice compact city and had such a great. Um, like alternative lifestyle, artistic, uh, uh, a feel to the city that you could tap into that and draw energy from that. And that's what we did. That song you just played, the San Francisco Fog 77, that was inspired by uh, Will Shatter and I used to walk around the city all the, night. One of the basemen for Flipper people. Uh, yeah, yeah, Negative Trend. And we would, oh, um, yeah, before that, Negative Trend. Uh-huh. And we would we would walk around the city and we you know, we'd stay up all night. Um I won't tell bother to tell you how we did that, but we did. And we'd stay up all <laughs> Magic night. Magic words. <laughs> yes. And we would theorize. We would talk about music and art and lifestyle and, and how to push things forward. And um and when I was putting together that song, San Francisco Fog, it just reminded me of, of just certain periods of just, just you know, you know the, the there was a great band from up there that never really got to record much called the Sleepers. Oh, Sleepers are great. And Ricky, Bell. the singer man, was in a bunch of other people's bands playing drums or whatever. Maybe Negative Trend for a while, but I know uh -huh. he was in crime for a little bit. There was all kinds of good stuff out of there, but No Mercy. Oh, I love that band. The drummer and the singer lady. Uh, yeah, uh, there were terrific bands up look, there. What happened? Tell me about, okay, from New York City, you moved to Austin. What was Austin like back then? Um, Austin, Austin was terrific. It's, it's a, it's a lot like it is now, but it wasn't as grown up. Um, the, we went there to play, we, when we, when we moved there, we were embraced by the punk rock community and the new wave community. And because we were in the Dills and the Nuns and, um, you know, we used to practice like where the big boys practice. And oh yeah. That. And we, so, so we immediately got a gig at um, Club Foot, which was their big do-wave club. Sure. And yeah, we opened for Pylon. Oh and, yeah, Georgia. Yeah, and they had this song played, called Dub, and it's uh -huh, one bass yeah. note. <laughs> I love talking about Econo. People say three chords. Fuck it, one bass note. <laughs> Every time that. around, right? Onk, onk, yeah. onk. You know, I eat Dub yeah. for breakfast. The late, big lady. Yeah, I remember. And, yeah, and then we, what happened? Well, well, we moved there, well, we did that show with Pylon, yeah. and then after that, um, the, the guy who ran the club, because we play country music, he said, you know what, you're not invited back. Because oh, they were they were very um, uh, protective of their, for lack of a better term, their new wave scene. And to them, country music was still a bad word. It wasn't, it wasn't hip yet like it is now. Oh, so there was no cowpunk word yet. No. Okay. So we had no gig. We had no gig. So we got we so we we found a, a, a real down and out honky tonk and they gave us a gig every Sunday. We had to play five sets. And um, <laughs> and there's no there. There's only like a handful of snuff queens and drunks in there. There was, you know, 
And then we found a, a gig at this place called the Alamo Lounge where we played um, acoustic shows. And um, from that, we built up our we built up our audience with uh, college students and like the you, you never played the Continental Club, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's where Minutemen yeah. first played Austin. Yeah, we played Continental. We played Mark you know, Pratt, Terry Pearson. Mark Pratt went up the uh, what was it called Liberty Lunch? A little later, yep. played Liberty Lunch. We played. Uh, well, Rexfile ended up playing every every place there. We didn't get real accepted till we got signed to Slash. And then they went, oh, okay, you guys, okay, country music, okay, we'll listen. <laughs> and then, and then you make the album, you tour it up, and what happened? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, you we beat uh, the band into the we, ground, or what happens? Well, we were hitting it hard with Sundown. Sure. Um, uh, uh, it, it was a very popular record, and I'll tell you what, I, I think we probably uh, it is a good record. It stands on its own, but but Robert Hilburn from the LA Times, he gave it he gave it a top ten on his list, and that's what. I think that's what really put it over because um, everyone else went, oh, yeah, of course, this is good, you know, and, and they listen and it was good. It lived up to the hype. Um, really, really, really good record. And we we did really well with rank and file until we kind of destroyed it ourselves by making that hard rock record, our third one. And that then, was a trippy and, record. Were, that was a. Tri but you know what? At what I've gotten to the point, music is music, man. So why can't it be anything you want it to be? Well, that's what that's what we've always believed. It's and it's always worked for us. It just didn't work for us with that record. I mean, I think that song has some terrific. Or that no, X too. X tried a hard rock record too, and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a hard gig. So we went from playing every packed nightclub to every empty nightclub. In the we call that we call those character builders. <laughs> yes, they so were. You, build, you, you were busy building a lot of character. Uh huh. Yes. They, <laughs> someone will say, "Hey, how many people are at your show?" Remember, count yourself. <laughs> okay, uh, seven. You know, I mean, we played shows where nobody came. Absolutely nobody came. That's and, a lot of character. Or maybe the opening band. You t you're taking turns playing for each other. Yeah, you get so much fucking character. <laughs> um, but uh, but but Let, letting the sound man get a lot of prac in. <laughs> uh -huh. But that's what brought that's what brought up. You, you know, I'll tell you. Here's how it built character: is you would you would you would you would do your sound check, and they'd, they'd say stuff like the sound man or whoever. Hey man, Bob Mold was here last night. He sold it out. It was just great. <laughs> it was great. And then you go, oh, that's awesome. So then you go to your hotel. You go back to the show. You see the parking lot's completely empty. Yeah. But there's, but there's six people there who love you. Yeah. And and you so you would put on your show just for them. Absolutely. Then, yeah. Of course. After that, they'd go. This town sucks, man. <laughs> no, the town doesn't suck. No one just likes this. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, and like you said too about timing, and and people are fickle, and they get caught up in the scenes and clothes. And I wonder if it is about music. So sure, you, think mean, it, you think you think you you did it yourself by making that third record. Yeah, yeah. But that's I, where did. the band was at. So, you know, at least you were being honest with yourselves. Maybe you weren't pandering to whatever the fucking mob well, wanted. Well, we weren't. And it was, it was definitely a ration. We were, like, done with country music. And we thought, again, mine and Tony's perverse thing. We thought, well, what can get up the nose of, of people now? Because now the country music is accepted. Ah, hard rock. Sure, Let's sure. Look, we're, at the end, uh, we're at the end of the second hour. I got to cut you off a little bit here, Chip. And we'll continue on. But... 
July 9, 2022. This is Juan Peters, a special guest, Chip Kim, and Old Type Hour 3. July 9, 2022. It's the third hour of the Watford Pedro Show.
Watch for Pedro Show. Start third hour off with Roundabout Danny, Chip Kim, and after that, Crane with Echo Rock Groove. Uh, Rubber O Cement with Your Malavision Kuru Needs Eight My Asian Gurus. Wow. Title. And then Chip Kim in with I Can Count to 19. Because everybody knows Tony. But right, the idea is two, you can't have two brothers in a punk band. So I'm going to change the last name so no one knows, right? That's correct, yeah. He didn't want people to know we were brothers. <laughs> but you know what's bitching? At least he didn't make you change your name. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, uh, yeah right, right. I mean, I'm, but, but that was classic Tony. That's, I mean, I've, I've told this story before, but he's, I mean, this this is Tony in a nutshell. It, it's We were rehearsing a song, and uh, and I know I'm skipping ahead to Cowboy Nation, but we were rehearsing a song. And we finished the song. I thought I played it. I thought I played it great, well. And, and I said, turned to Tony. I said, Tony, what'd you think? And he said, Chip, that sounded really good. But next time, can you make it sound like music? <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. We got. You know, we got to get into the new record because we got so much spiel here. How? How? Man, this is a departure from Dills. This is a departure. You know, well, maybe you're used to changing gears because you were doing this stuff 30, 40 years. You know, it's time to change. I want to play this style. I want to do this. So what, yeah. what came up with... The, and, and this is just called Chip Kim, and it doesn't have an alter ego name. No, no, no. Chip, Chip 18. No, it's... <laughs> but I... Uh, I yeah, well, you know, I've always wanted to do something different. I, 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 I don't like retreads. I always like kind of pushing it forward. Right. And, 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 and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more into, um, I'm not so much into craft and commerce. So I'm just more into like art and, um, and, and, you know, revolution and, you know, in, in certain senses. So when, for this record, and, and there's another thing, it's a, it's a lesson I learned from Alejandro, actually. He said, do what you do and do it well and leave everything else alone. Don't, you know, don't go where you don't belong. So it's like, I, I would never make a reggae record. You know? <laughs> but, but you made a, a one man band record. Correct. But, but, but electronics. That kind of, yeah. Uh, also electronics, but the idea yeah. of you not being with the band, that's kind of new, right? Oh, it's, it's totally new. Um, I, there's, you know, I, I, I collaborated on side one. I collaborated with Steven Lindsley. Um, oh, Steven Carroll band. Yeah. He's a bassman. He played with Jim Carroll for a while, right? That's correct. And he and and we worked together. And then COVID happened, so he couldn't. You know, I had the little studio set up in my house, so he, he wasn't coming over anymore. So I just I just did the record um, all by myself. But it's I, I just wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something radical. I wanted to do something I hadn't done before, and I wanted to do something as in your face as I hate the rich, as in your face as Blackbird, as in your face as, you know, Cowboy Nation. Yeah. Some, something that is just, just undeniably, you know, in your face. Now, um, I know the instrumentation you changed, but what about the the way of writing songs? Was it different for you? It was, it was, it was, I think they call it these days, they call it um, uh, what, so like sound design or something like that. Because I, you know, I'll tell you what. I don't know how to play keyboards. I don't know how to play synths, but I know how to make records. So I borrowed from Brian Kehue. I borrowed um, who he does like synths for the Who and stuff 
I don't know if you know him. He's, he's really great. Oh, no, guy. I've heard of him. I don't know him, but much respect. Yeah, I was, I was um, after I got my deal, I was going to go out and buy a, a mini Moog and, um, and make my record on that. So Brian Kehue has a studio, and I went to his studio because I didn't want to spend my money on, like, headphones and cords and those sorts of things. So I was going to borrow them from him, and I told him I was going to buy a mini Moog. And he said, hey, I've got this uh, Moog Musonics, which is – a predecessor of the mini move and it's made in 1970 it's this big hulking you know keyboard synthesizer thing and he said just use this if you want so i brought it home plugged it in turned it on and went i can make a record on this <laughs> now is there guitar on this record there it you know the only guitar you might be glad to hear about this is a bass and a um a uh you mean a bass oh, guitar? A baritone guitar. A baritone, okay. Yeah. Which yeah, people, is like, it's tuned down like a bass, but they got still little strings, so you don't have the, the punch. It's yeah, yeah, sound. it's kind of in the middle. It's a Dan Electro baritone. And um, that's, that's the only, those are the only guitars on the record. Um, I, did record, I did record a song for the album that had vocals on it, and everyone seemed to, you know, everyone loved it, but... It was like one song with vocals, and eh, I'll just keep that. I'll just keep that one off the record. But I recorded the whole album, and I gave it to Larry Hardy at In the Red Records, and said, "Larry, I, I gave him everything I recorded. I said you make an album out of this. You, you tear it down and, and put out which the parts you want to put out." And he listened to it. And he said, "I want to put all of it out." So that's why it's a double record. Wow! And and and, and you uh, kind of were relating to this. Uh... That that word sounds like something for a film soundtrack, but there, it's kind of a, a journey with a landscape going by the windshield uh, windows as you're driving. You know, it really is. It's a it, it's the the album. The album was recorded to be an album, not just the collection of songs, but an sure. album that you, would, you put it on and you listen to it all the way through. And at the end of it, you go, well, "That took me somewhere." Right. Right. Well, look, let's, this is actually kind of a, a cover, right? <laughs> Will the circle be unbroken? Carpet. Oh, my cover, yeah.
for Peter show last music for this edition Chip Kitman started off with his version of Will the Circle Be Unbroken and then we had Awa from Fujita a lot of eyes there 
And finally, Chip Kimmon with Pop Becomes, Art Becomes Pop. So, yeah, enlighten us to uh, the cover. Oh, the cover. Um, I, 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 I figured it, it needed one more song to really, to really end the record and end it on, end it on a high note. <laughs> and, um, and so I recorded this piece of music. It was actually about 12 minutes long. And it was like what you hear, a circle being breaking. It was going, God, 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 God. <laughs> and I'm there going, what, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, yeah, oh, you know what? I really like that Carter family song, Will Circle Being Broken. But you know what? I think it's a bit long. It's three minutes and seven seconds long. So I went and got that piece of music. Yeah. I I went to the end, and then I, I I went forward to three minutes and six seconds. I cut a second off the song, and boom, I had Will the Circle Be Unbroken. And that is that is my ultimate perverse statement of, of I mean, ever since, you know, I hate the rich, or I want a Tysco, you know, where this conversation started. <laughs> You know, here I am, 64 years old, and I'm still, I'm still putting that out. And and it's funny. I have a friend in in Austin, Texas, uh, Monty Warden. He writes hit country songs, number one country songs. And I played him. I said, I want to play you my circle, my version of Will the Circle Be Unbroken. I listened to it, and and he said, you know what? That is Will the Circle Be Unbroken. And we and will you produce my next gospel record? Wow. <laughs> I said yes, I will, sir. Have you yes, done, I have you will. done much? Have you done uh, producing? Um, you know, I haven't. That's the first time I was ever. I mean, I've produced my own stuff, but that's yeah, the first course, time course. I, I was ever asked to uh, to do something. So oh, that's um, bitching. That's very kind of him. Yeah. The guy who hits, who writes big country hits. So he heard. Yes, yeah, see, and also going back around, music is music. The genre it, thing, it's bullshit. It is. It, 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 you're absolutely right. And music is is not only is is it what you play, but it is what you say it is. That's why the record has a bit of a Marcel Duchamp feel to it. That it's like, hey, here's a toilet, and I say it's art. John and Coltrane art. said you could play a shoestring if you're sincere enough. Exactly. Exactly. So I I can put out that I can put out Will the Circle Be a Broken. I'll say that's country music. Yeah. And, and who's going to, I mean, that's what we do with rank and file. We never called it country punk. We never called it cow punk. We called it country music because yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. And, uh, and people aren't in charge of your fucking naming anyway. And you're not in charge of their naming. So at the end of the day, listen, yeah, where can you, people find you on the internet? Um, they can, uh, I'm on two of the socials. Um, uh, but there's no, there's no Chip Kidman website. Nah, okay. nah, not. Well, fact, that's like having your own fancy because you don't have a corporate guy in the middle. But a corporate telephone pole to staple up flyers, I can understand that. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right. Well, I'm actually, I kind of, I, I only go on it because um, I don't do a lot of social stuff on it. I go on it when I have a new record out. Like, so I want everyone to know about it because that's kind of the way people know about it. No, like the gigs in the old days, right? You got to put the flyers yeah. up on the pole. What about... Uh, when you get a record done, are you, are you already thinking about making another one? I am. And as a matter of fact, I just talked to Larry Hardy uh, yesterday and and I said, you know, we asked him how it's going. He says it's going terrific. You know, sales are terrific. Sales are really good. Everything's good. And I said, and I don't really have a contract with him to read. I think that's how he does business. And so I mentioned um, the next record and, you know, seeing if he would bite. And he goes, Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're not doing one and done. Oh yeah, we're we're, we're making another one. So so, 
instantly my mind started going, okay. Yeah. Wow. Now, when you get it done, will you come back on the show? And I can I would, give you I, more time to spiel, because I could spiel with you for a lifetime and a half. I, I think we could, and I think <laughs> we have, my friend. I think we have. Um, of course, I'd love to be on, on involved with anything you do. Okay. Know. Big love, Brother Chip. People, it's been July 9th, 2022, and this what? Peter shall keep you powder dry. <laughs>